job. Still a couple of bugs to work out, but all in all, not bad. Love this crew, love their patience and their faithfulness. And uh, you know, I'm, I communicated with all of our team this week a, a rather long epistle. Not inspired or anything, just you know, out of my head. But thanking them, and also we, we're just we're implementing some changes in the way we do a couple of things that. Uh, as I communicated to them, we want to do now, as we continue to pray for and anticipate God's move to continue to grow Christ Community Church, they will help us, you know, systems and processes just will help us as we go forward, and hopefully allow us to even have a more enjoyable time together doing what we do as we come to serve you each Sunday. But that, that dovetails into this morning's uh, context because I want to talk with you about church growth. Now, don't go to sleep on me just yet. Because I'm not going to give you, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you the ABCs of church growth or inundate you with statistics. In fact, I don't think I have any statistics in my head that I, I plan to use today at all. So uh, don't be concerned about that. What I do want to share with you is that the church, when I say the church, I mean Christ Community Church as well as every other church that's meeting this morning across our city, uh, maybe some that have already met in each, at an earlier time than we do. There will be others that, that will meet at different times throughout the day. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. That's really, I mean, that's the purpose of every individual Christian. We talked about it last week, to do everything as unto the glory of God. Our purpose is to glorify God, and we glorify God because of the gift that he has given to us of salvation. It's our reciprocation. It's our acknowledgement of the great gift of grace and mercy that God has given to us. Within that life of glorifying God, there should be also a component among many other components. Uh, you know, the discipline of faith, the discipline of, of knowledge, learning about the Lord, reading, you know, reading your Bible and learning what God has communicated to us through his word. Um, uh, theological discussion and contemplation and conversation. Uh, fellowship with other believers, that, that brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ. All of these things come under the umbrella of glorifying God. Another aspect of that should be, could be, also communicating our faith to the people around us that we encounter. And that has taken many, many different forms over the course of the Christian church, not just the modern church, but the Christian church. The modern church, and when I say modern, I mean really starting in the late, about 1800s, uh, guys like uh, Charles Finney and, and Charles Spurgeon and guys like this, uh, into the the early 1900s, mid-1900s, guys like Billy Sunday and even Billy Graham, uh, modern Christianity has, has taken this, this principle of sharing our faith and sometimes turned it into more of a commodity or a business than it is something that's organic that comes out of our lives. Now, the men's conference this Saturday, for those who, who join us, 
we'll be talking about ways to share your faith because that's a good thing to talk about because our culture changes, right? So speaking a language or communicating the faith in a way that effectively communicates to our culture, that's important. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're speaking and no one is listening, you're just talking to yourself, right? So this is not to say that we shouldn't do those kinds of things, but there are ways in which I think modern, especially evangelicalism, has treated sharing our faith that have turned it into more of a business model than a spiritual model. And Jason and I like to talk about this once in a while. We encountered it in one of the classes that we're in now. Uh, we were expected in the course of this class to intentionally find, was it four people, Jay? three to five people and target them to share the gospel and report back. And both Jason and I were really annoyed by that concept. Um, now, let me say this. We are in the habit of regularly sharing the gospel with people that we encounter. But we don't like to treat people like projects. We don't like to treat people like objects. Uh, we have found in our own experience, and, and there are examples outside of this that, that we could go to, and I'll mention one that perhaps I've mentioned before. It works better for both of us if, if we share the gospel nine times out of ten if it's in the con context of relationship, some kind of relationship, whether it's a close personal relationship, or even as we try, uh, we go to Kaladi Brothers on Huffman pretty much every Tuesday uh, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. We've been doing this for 20 plus years at different locations around town. But wherever we've gone, we try to make sure we, we learn the names of the people who are working there. And we have had many, many conversations about spiritual things and church and direct sharing of the gospel with those people as we build those relationships with them. So sometimes it's like that, where the only place we see them is at the coffee shop Although occasionally then we'll run into people around town and we have that connection, right? It, it's it's kind of cool. And then others where we're, we're making, we're just becoming friends with someone and it's becoming deeper than that and we share that, that faith. Occasionally, there'll be that kind of bolt of lightning moment where God gives the opportunity where we can share the gospel. And I try to be faithful to that. Sometimes I'm stupid and I miss it and I realize it later that the opportunity was there because I'm just not... I'm not paying attention. And then there are the rare people, and you might be one of these, I don't know, but there are the rare people, and, and Jason and I like to refer to our friend here in uh, New England as well, Dennis Baugh, uh, who could, you know, the old uh, saying of, you know, you could, this, that guy could, could sell a refrigerator to people in the Arctic. Dennis is that guy. And it, and it wasn't a put on at all. Um, it wasn't a shtick. It's just who he was. Uh, he would come here to visit. He was an, an evangelist, and he would come here to visit, and we'd go out to eat or something, and if you left him alone for 30 seconds, he was having the most intimate context conversation about the gospel with someone that he'd never met before. But it was his gift to do that. But at the end of the day, each of us as believers are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ in our context, wherever we are, with whatever opportunities God might give us. 
And I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like, not as a seminar. I'm not going to give you, again, ABC123. I want to talk about the concept. Because I think God is good enough and able enough in your life as you pursue him to grow you in the way in which you share the good news with other people. Doesn't mean you shouldn't make yourself aware of tools that are available. There's, there's all kinds of little things out there. There's you know little tracks that you can give out to people or you can walk them through it. Uh, we've used the bridge uh, metaphor here. We've used that example. Uh, we've used uh, the three circles here. We've used the Roman road here. We've used evangelism explosion here. Now I'm going way back. Those of you who go way back uh, 20 plus years in, in Southern Baptist work anyway. Uh, there's the Evangicube. Uh, look, I know people have used it effectively. It makes me it a little bit. Just the name makes me a little bit. But it's kind of cool. It's a cool little, little thing that you can use. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't avail yourself of those kinds of methods. But underneath of it needs to be you. You as a person, as a human being, as a, as a living creation of the Most High God who has encountered him in a way that's transformed your life and that you are able to communicate why that matters to you and why you think Jesus is worth the time and effort to get to know what God has to offer. So I want to encourage you in that this morning. And how does that relate to church growth? Because, friends, there are two ways that churches grow in a healthy manner. And one is that God begins to supernaturally grow the church and bring people into its orbit and influence through no effort of the church, other than the church being faithful. This is a marker that in our last 20 years we have looked for consistently at different seasons, including this season right now. And it appears that that is happening in this season right now. We've had a number of people come along to us and decide to be part of us and hang out with us that we have no direct connection to through any other avenues except God brought them here. It's amazing. The second, healthy growth, is when the people of the church are ambassadors for the church that means something to them. And we don't want you to go and say, our church is the greatest place. We want you to go and say, Jesus is worth it. And there are some people who really love Jesus that are together that I think you would enjoy being with too. Um, sometimes we get in our heads, and, and, and obviously in the last 20 plus years, Jason and I have talked about this ad nauseum, church growth. What do we do? How do we do this? What's, what's the order of things? And here's something I think foundational that we have absolutely learned that ties into what I just said about how God grows churches in a healthy fashion is it is a fool's errand to try and take a church that wants to grow and create all of the programs that you think people would want in order to satisfy them in hopes that that will attract them to your church. Now, we have tried it at different times. I've been at other churches where we tried that. Uh, a lot of churches will try that now, and here's what I can say about that repeatedly is that often, if you have the resources to do that, if you have people who are really, really they want to dig in and do that, you will have significant growth, usually very quickly, very rapidly, very soon. 
it tends to not be healthy growth. Because those who have put in all of their effort to, to put those programs in place in order to attract people eventually will burn out. Because it takes a year to two years on the average for a new person to join a church and then really become active and throw their efforts in. Now we have some, some people here that are already uh, proving that to not always be true. They came to us and immediately wanted to be part of what we're doing and they're contributing in ways to ministry. But that's just the average. And so it can look good right up front, but it's dangerous because if you hit the wall of growth, it invariably goes backwards. And the backwards is usually more detrimental than the, than the forward was. And so we, we try to be very careful about that. There are a few things that we believe the church must provide in order for people to say, okay, we could be part of that. That's uh, small group opportunities, which is based on who wants to lead them, good worship, biblical teaching, children's ministry on Sundays, and the opportunity for student ministry. And then beyond that is that we're always engaged in international missions, national missions, local missions, working with uh, literal missionaries on the ground, uh, helping organizations, all of those kinds of things. Those are kind of the, that's just the foundation that everything, anything that comes after that comes because the church grows, not in order to grow the church. Does that make sense? So, I say all of that to lead you to this passage that you probably have heard here not very long ago. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be in verse 16. It's called the Great Commission. All right? Uh, these are instructions given to the disciples by Jesus just before he ascends into heaven to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. And this is the mandate that he gives to the disciples, which then is also given to us. And there are some people who believe that this text was literally only meant for the disciples. But we know that the ones are there who Jesus sat with and chatted with and talked about, like with Peter when he said, I'm going to build my church on people just like you. People who have this, this faith that is, is like a mountainside. And it will be a foundation for the church. And I'm going to build my church on that. And it wasn't just limited to Peter. He was talking about people like Peter. And so when those guys who were all sitting around, those disciples sitting there hearing this same conversation, they received this same commission from Christ, it's not just about their immediate local context. It's also about the church going forward, everyone who will come after, including you and me. All right, so here we are. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is where we understand 
that one of the ways God grows the church, both the church with the capital C, the universal church, and the local church, is that those of us who are his disciples, we go and we share the good news. We teach them what Jesus taught. We teach them what Jesus commanded. We, uh, when they receive that, in the manner in which the example is given in scripture, we baptize them and they become part of the body of the church of believers. So as we together think about our months coming up through the rest of uh, 2023, and we think about you know, what's going on with this church, how can it grow, the primary way it grows is that you and I speak to people and share the good news, grow the kingdom of God, and people join the fellowship. There really is no other way the church grows that is more healthy than that. Now, it tends to be slow. If we're diligent, it tends to be steady. But it also tends to be healthy. And I will say this about Christ Community Church. In our 20 years, we've never had like a, just a major like schism in our church. We've had a little pocket here of people who got mad about something and decided to take their football and go somewhere else. Uh, we made an effort at one time to plant another church, and boy, did it go sour. But the stories that I grew up with and the churches that I grew up with, where there was just so much acrimony and dislike for one another and hardness and rudeness and unkindness to one another, we just have never experienced that here, and I praise God for that. It's not that we have not had disagreements at times, but we try to talk about them. We try to talk through them as brothers and sisters. And so I say that to say, I really think this is a great place to invite people to come to church. And I'm, I'm hoping that you'll catch a vision for that today through these examples. Now, the second place I want to take you is, is let's go back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. When he first calls his disciples, he says something that Again, has been communicated down through the ages, but I think it's important, and I want to talk about that, especially in relationship to modern evangelism and some of those ways in which we've, I think we've gotten it wrong. So it's going to be in Mark chapter 1, again, verse 16. If I were into biblical numerology, that would be significant that the other one was also verse 16, and this one's also 16. But if you're into biblical numerology, let me tell you, stop it. It's garbage. Absolute garbage. All right. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and, I, and you, oh, wow, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And it's that phrase, I will make you fishers of men. Now, here's a great example of cultural context, right? Uh, Jesus sees these guys. It is his determination that he wants them to, to, to come and labor with him in this ministry that he has on earth for a short season of time. And he speaks to them in a way in which they will totally understand what it is he's trying to get them 
to buy into. Now, there's, there's, really, there's no theology delivered here. Jesus doesn't even say who he is. I don't know if they had any inkling of who he was at this moment. His ministry has not yet begun. The miracles have not started. His fame has not begun to spread. And yet somehow, as Jesus passes by, he looks at them and in a way that is so compelling, they leave their livelihoods at the dock. They go with him to go catch people instead of fish. That's extraordinary. The gospel that we deliver hopefully resonates with the same charisma and importance of who Jesus was in this moment. Something about who he was and the way he spoke. They just knew something was different without even getting all the details yet. But believing in the man before them, who they would learn is literally the son of God, God himself clothed in flesh. And they go. Now, I want to talk about fishing. Fishermen in here? Anybody? You like to fish? Fisher women? Fisher people? All right. A few? So I brought some props. At one time, I was a serious fisherman. If you look in my garage, you'll see, because there's still a lot of stuff in there. And I like all kinds of fishing. Deep sea fishing, fly fishing, bait fishing, uh, lure fishing like this one is, trolling, sand on a bank, uh, all kinds of stuff. Now, in my tradition growing up in church, Sometimes we would talk about this same concept, fishing for people, fishing for men. And we would use language, or evangelists would use language, because we would do things like, oh goodness, I bear scars in here from some of these things. We had a guy named uh, Felix Snipes who came one time. <laughs> he was a magician very good one. But we did a revival meeting. Everybody remember those, right? Revival meeting. Don't have church revival. Somehow it never seemed to revive much, I'm just going to say. But Felix came, and the whole week, so it'd be like, Sunday would be like, bring your neighbor, pack a pew. Monday would be kids night, and then Tuesday would be youth night or something like that. And, and we'd build to this big culmination, right, at the end. And all week, he had told this gag that he was going to, on the final night, he was going to turn the pastor into a rabbit. It sounds cool to me, right? Uh, I'm going to turn the pastor into a rabbit. And uh, Felix was a showman, let me tell you. Uh, he was a dapper-dressed man. He had uh, the the crispy white goatee down to a point down here, and, and he had the voice of, you know, a dramatic man, and he could, man, it was something. We got to the final night, and he's doing the big trick. He's got the pastor up there, and he's building and building and building. He's going to turn him into a rabbit, and he does his thing, and he's got this kind of wand that he puts over his head, and then he makes the trick fall, and this 
cloth banner falls down that looks like a rabbit with a hole with the pastor's face in it. I see your face, Holly. That's exactly how I felt. Betrayed. And it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not. Because you know what? Some of the other people there felt betrayed by it, too. It's just a silly little thing, but friends. It was just a weird example of that. Another time we had, uh, on multiple occasions, we hosted a group called the Power Team. The Power Team. Is that poster still hanging in your window, Connie, or did it finally fall down? It's <laughs> She's got a downstairs picture window kind of in the basement, and that poster was hanging up in there, and you can't get to it now. So it's just been hanging there since 1994, somewhere around there. Power team, these were men who did feats of strength. They were cool, and they were neat guys. It was a lot of fun, and boy, did we pack the place. I mean. Uh, this is at Faith Baptist Church. Auditorium seated 500, not an empty seat in that place. Balcony and floor. And we had a fellowship hall that uh, we ran uh, monitors to. And First Baptist Church had a television camera program them, and they brought their big production cameras, and they filmed for us and broadcast it to the, to the uh, fellowship hall because there were so many people. It was fun, breaking baseball bats over their legs and tearing phone books in half and... Now I'll give them this. They shared the gospel. They, were, they unashamedly gave their testimony about who Jesus was. And, and we bought into that through our leadership because this was the, the fastest growing church growth method in the United States at the time. Story, the stories were crazy. And I also say there's also a problem with trying to transplant methodology that works in Oklahoma to Alaska. Amen. Um, it was a spectacle, without a question. Uh, our dear friend Tom Middleton, who used to play guitar with us here and was killed about 16 years ago, uh, he and his family came to Christ because of that and joined the church and then came with us. As far as I know, they're the only ones. And I mean, we ran about 8,000 people through that two different times. It was fun. Was it effective? And it was a lot like this thing that would be described. We'd say, why do we do that kind of stuff? Say, well, we're trying to attract people. And this here, if you're not a fisher person, this is what we call a spinner. This does not have a hook on it, by the way. No one panic. <laughs> doesn't have a hook. The worst you'll get is a chipped tooth or a black eye. Um, <laughs> But this goes in the water. This does not imitate anything in nature. It just is meant to be shiny and flashy and fun and for a fish to go, hey, what's that thing? And then you got it, right? And you, you throw it out there like that. And you reel it back in. You catch an Oliver if you can. When it goes to the water, it makes noise because it's under, you know, it's spinning and it makes this noise. And if you catch one, right, you, you can get him to come in your boat. Don't, don't. 
But here's the thing about that. It's fake. <laughs> right? It doesn't mimic anything in nature even. It's just meant to fool somebody. A fish in this case. And get them to bite. So you can get them in the boat. And club them in the head. If you're out fishing for uh, salmon or pinks or things like that, it might be a pixie or what we call a keen eye fly. Anybody know what a keen eye fly is? Right? It's a big old treble hook with a bunch of lead on it. <laughs> but then you got the Russian river fly. Call it a fly. It doesn't look like anything in nature. They're red and white and green and blue and orange and purple. They're just to try and fool a fish into thinking that might be interesting. I think I'll put my mouth on it. And a lot of our modern evangelical efforts are just like that. We're just trying to attract somebody. Just trying to. Now, we want to be fishers of men, right? So that makes sense. We, this is how we fish. We should fish that way. But I'd say this is not what Jesus was talking about. Not trying to fool people. Not trying to bait and switch. Another way that you would use this is literally to, to, to take and just put a single hook on there maybe and, and a piece of shrimp or a, a fish egg or something like that, which is real food for a fish. But there's a hook hidden in there. And it's not really what they think they're getting. That seems to me, as a metaphor, a, a bad way to share the gospel. With something that isn't real, that's something that has a, a hidden meaning behind it, that they're not aware of yet and in some ways to drag them into the church and then club them in the head and hope that that works. Not good. So better, this is my favorite way to fish, is with a fly rod. Now on the end of there, you want to come look at this? Come look at this. There's no hook. You want to come look? All right, come on up. You can come too. Kind of, I don't know if you can find it. Can you see the end of that? Come on up, honey. We can. You see it? All right. You want to look at it? What's hanging on the end of there? Can you see it? Yeah, you can touch it. What does that look like to you? Hmm? What do you think? Does it look like a mosquito? Oliver, did you look at it closely? Does it look like a mosquito? You want to look at it? Right? Pretend you're a fish. <laughs> right? All right, so I, I can't really do it in here because it's not going to work, but you know, you flip this thing back and forth, and this is, a, this is what's called a dry fly, so it goes out and it lays on top of the water, just like you've been out on a lake and a little, a little bug will land on top of the water and stand on there. That fish will. I love, I love fly fishing with a dry fly when they, they just explode out of the water. Just bang, hit that thing, and off to the races you go. And this is, I think this is better because at least this looks like something real. Like this looks like they're real food. But it has the same inherent problem, which is that it's not the way that Jesus was talking about fishing. And it's not real, it's a trick. 
And we can't be in the business of trying to win people to Christ or attract them to the church by playing tricks. We have to be honest. We have to be true. We have to be truthful. The attraction to church should be the attraction to Jesus. If a church is loving Jesus and, and, and is being Jesus as they love one another, then when someone comes to know Christ, the natural place for them to be is with other people who know Christ and want to hang out together. That's real church growth. And so if these don't work, if these fake things don't work, I mean, they work, right? They'll grow churches. They'll catch fish. But when, when the truth starts to come out or when the rest of, you know, the clubbing begins, people tend to try and get out of the boat. We don't want to be that. We've never wanted to be that. So instead, I think about the context in which Jesus and the disciples were. And it was more like this, right? I mean, those guys weren't fishing with fishing poles and lures and bait and hooks. They're fishing with nets. We see this later in the stories. In fact, even after Jesus is resurrected, he meets the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee because they have gone back to fishing. Because he died. And then he was resurrected, but everything was weird. Like, how does this work? And they didn't know what to do or where to go. So Peter, kind of as the, ba the band leader, the ringleader, had them back out on the boat fishing, throwing their nets over. And they were not catching anything. And they hear this voice from the shore. Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side, meaning the side that was towards Jesus. And you got to think, I mean, just picture in your mind, you're, you're, you're in the body of water, you're throwing your nets over here. How much success are you going to have if you just put them over on the other side? It's not that far, right? If I'm out halibut fishing and I'm not catching anything over here, it's unlikely I'm going to move eight feet across the boat and catch something over there. And yet this is what Jesus says to do. And they, they do, and they throw their nets down, and they're so full it starts to sink the boat and tear the nets. And I think they, they must have thought in that moment, they must have have echoed back to that very first day. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Those fish were a great metaphor for the people that then the disciples would go and begin to, to preach to and witness to and heal and who would come to be part of the community of believers of the early church. And this is kind of cool. Oliver, I'm going to ask you to help me one more time, buddy. All right, pretend, think, think, think about being a fish. Turn that way. Turn, face, face everybody. All right. Yeah. So, yep, blub, blub. There we go. Oliver's down there blub, blubbing, just doing his fish thing. All right. And there's different ways that nets work, but, you know, shonk, they go on you, right? All right. Stand up, buddy. <laughs> but you can see immediately how the process is different, right? Now, I would say, I've done, this, I've, I've done this before. I've done this example. Don't go away. I'm, I'm just netting you more. I want you to be more netted. And there's an element that I missed the last time I did this that came to me as I was preparing this time. 
Because we say, you know, in this one, nobody's getting a hook in their face, getting dragged in the boat and being clubbed and over the head and that kind of thing. And it feels, it's more like a hug, right? You know, God's giving you a hug with a net. That's nice. But friends, here's the other thing about telling people about Jesus. All those fish that are in that net getting pulled in the boat have the same ultimate destination as the ones caught by a hook or a lure or a fly. They're going to get gathered up in that net, which feels more gentle, feels more organic, feels more natural than getting snagged in the face by a hook. But they're still going to die. And as we think about sharing the gospel, this is something we should keep in mind. Thanks, buddy. Because Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die every day. And so it's not that we're calling people necessarily to something different. It's that when we try to use artificial methods and we try to trick people and we try to attract people on things that are exciting and, and you know, program-directed and experience-directed and all those kinds of things, they can be fun, they're flashy, they're exciting, but at the end of the day, they don't seem to be effective, and if we want people to stick with those kinds of methods, it's almost like we are the ones who have to kill something about them. Whereas this way, where you and I go out and we just cast the net of Jesus in our community, and God begins to gather people in, the reality is they're going to die to self in order to have life in Christ. But if we can do that, if we can lead them in that, if God will draw them together in that, that will grow people who are in love with Jesus, who have been transformed by him, and taken from that death, that spiritual death, into life. But it's life in Christ. Resurrected. A bunch of resurrected fish. Brought back to life. By the power of Jesus. To a life among all of the people around us. This giant school of humanity that we swim in every day with the opportunity to share what happened to us, that we were captured, that we were enclosed, that we were drawn in by this great God and his mercy and his grace. And he called us to die to ourselves, and we did, and then he raised us to this new life that we didn't even know existed. A life that's abundant purposeful, hopeful, even when times feel hopeless, meaningful, loving, forgiving, eternal. I think that's how a church grows. We grow into the people who share the gospel. 
we share the gospel and it captures people. And they come along with us. That this is the place God wants them to be. Now, is my primary focus growing the church? It is not. It never has been, never will be. We're not trying to grow a mega church here. If God does that, that's his business. We will only try to be faithful as we go along to be who we are, and I mean as leaders, to be who we are as a church, to communicate the gospel efficiently, effectively, in a way that's meaningful and understandable, to serve one another. But I believe if we will do that together, the natural, the natural effect would be that we would see growth, that God would lead, that God would provide, and that would be healthy for Christ Community Church. And that is my heart's desire. Uh, I'm not impressed by big numbers. What I am impressed by is the ability to have influence in the lives of one another for the purpose of Christ. However God leads us to do that. So, as we go forward, I will ask you to pray with us about that. Your place, your purpose, your part in your life. Not here, but out there sharing the gospel in a way that it might, it might impact what happens here too. But paramount. Share the gospel. As you were attracted to Christ, others may be attracted to Christ and find that saving knowledge in him. Amen? All right, friends, let's sing one more song together, and we'll be dismissed.